I always call it Beecher Factory, and I'm always uh, called on the carpet and, and, and hollered at. No, 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 it is the Sugar Beet Factory. Ron, <laughs> come on. <laughs> That's Ron Short, the president of the Glendale Historical Society. He's talking about the five-story abandoned building in Glendale. It's located near 52nd Avenue and Glendale Avenue. That building captured the interest of Valley 101 listener Garrett Godfrey. He asked us about the history of the beet sugar factory and about the future plans of the building. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. Producer Maritza Dominguez is digging into how the factory's history correlates with the development of Glendale. Maritza, take it away. William J. Murphy, owner of the Arizona Canal Company and founder of Glendale, looked at the land west of Phoenix and saw potential. In the early 1900s, the valley's soil was considered a prime area to farm. So Murphy, with the Arizona Canal Company, dug a 40-mile canal to bring water to the West Valley. Uh, He saw some interesting federal reports saying that, hey, this area would be a great place for sugar beets, growing sugar beets. Uh, And so he got some other folks interested in, and and they bought a bunch of the land south of the uh, Arizona Canal. Sugar beets are plants whose roots contain high concentration of sucrose, and are grown for the production of sugar. They're white, with a long green stalk at the top, and require a lot of water to grow. Uh, once he had that worked out, then he needed to have a factory uh, to process sugar beets. So he formed another company, uh, and they put together a consortium to, uh, to uh, build a beet sugar factory. Uh, and that took between 1903 to 1906 uh, uh, to do that. The company ran into its first issue with water. As they washed the sugar beets, they realized the water was too muddy. They had to shut down the factory for a short period of time to dig wells and bring in groundwater that was better purified. After that, they were back up and running. They they were able to uh, develop maybe about a a thousand tons uh, uh, per, um, per, uh, uh, per per day on on, on the uh, sugar beets, and they employed around 300 people during harvest time. The beet sugar factory and its farms had a hand in the growth of the town. By 1910, Glenda was incorporated, meaning it would have elected officials. And by 1912. Boy, they were at their peak. They were doing really, really, really great. Uh, but then it started tailing off a little bit. Uh, the sugar beets uh, uh, level sugar was not very high. It was low. Then the bugs started getting after them. Uh, and they had all sorts of other issues and problems. Ron said they had to start bringing in sugar beets from other places. This created a legal battle with other companies. So the factory stopped processing sugar beets and sent their supply to California. During World War I, the demand for sugar increased, 
That's when they decided to switch over to sugarcane. And uh, sure enough, they they got that. They brought in new machinery. Uh, they started growing sugarcane. But you know what? Sugarcane requires a lot of water. And we didn't have a lot of water. <laughs> By 1916, the production and processing of sugar beets and sugar cane stopped, and Murphy's vision of growing sugar in the desert met its end. It was a great idea, uh, but uh, sugar beets are not a great place here. Uh, They were harvesting it in the summertime. The mules were dying in the fields. While it didn't work out, Ron called it a great experiment for Murphy, And although the beet sugar factory stood empty over the next few years, it would find new purposes in the future. Uh, And it was a beer storage in 1934 for beer for a while. And I believe it was the first place in the nation where they they bottled soy sauce uh, on it. So it had those other distinctions. A man named Philip Ringer bought the building and its surrounding 10 acres in 1935. From 1938 to 1981, the squirt company moved in. They used the building to make the squirt concentrate out of grapefruits for their soda. In 1978, the beet sugar factory became the first building in Glendale to be on the National Register of Historic Places. To be considered for the listing, a building has to be more than 50 years old and look about the same as it was when it was first constructed. There are some perks for a property owner to get a building designated as a historic building. The Arizona State Historic Preservation Act of 1982 allows non-commercial buildings a reduction in property tax. However, the designation doesn't prevent the owner from changing the building. But uh, as a property owner, of a building that's listed on the National Register, you can destroy it. It would be taken off the National Register. Uh, You could change the the exterior of it. It would be taken off the National Register. Uh, You can do whatever you want uh, on the the inside, and it would not be taken off the National Register. It's more of an honor and a distinction for the building to be classified as a historic place. While the building is over 100 years old now, Ron said the building has good bones. In fact, according to Ron, the steel used to build the factory is the same type that was used for the Titanic. But the good news is that we don't have icebergs here. So we don't have to worry about iceberg hitting the steel in the beet sugar factory. (laughs) The beet sugar factory is currently owned by Ray Klemp. He's also the owner of the Arizona Wine Company. I was unable to get a hold of Ray, but in 2011, in a video produced by the city of Glendale, he outlined his goals for the building. This will be a plant where uh, beverages are made. Uh, We will have a a walled-in room where the stills are located because we'll be making vodka and tequila and uh, other things like that. To undertake such a large project such as this, the building would first need to be brought up back to code. We're not allowed to have more than nine people in here at a time. Wow. Ron said that the roof of the building is also in very bad shape. 
and it would need to be redone entirely. Ray also visualized using the upper floors as a tasting room. And we would envision an elevator and perhaps on the fourth and fifth floors, uh, this uh, little display area, area where people might experiment learning how to use the beverages and a, a bar restaurant on top. And uh, then on the second floor, railings and a walk through so that you could look, so down, could look down and, and see things happening. Okay. In this 2011 video, Ray acknowledged that the project would take years. So far, he's been unable to open it as a functioning distillery, but the interest from people has continued. Its status as an abandoned building has made people wonder why it still stands. In 2016, Arizona Republic readers named it one of the worst West Valley eyesores. The building is fenced off from the public with faded red brick and boarded windows. However, for Ron, he sees it as more than just an abandoned building. No, it's uh, it's very, very, very important uh, to the city of Glendale. Uh, and the residents of Glendale doesn't do not view that as an eyesore. They view it as a very, very important historic building for the city and for the state. Hey, listeners, it's me, Kayla, again. Who knew an abandoned building in Glendale would hold such historical significance to the development of the West Valley? As a courtesy note, audio in today's episode came from the city of Glendale. If you have more questions about Metro Phoenix's history, submit them to us at valley101.azcentral.com. And if you're a regular listener of our show, please consider supporting it by subscribing to azcentral.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. See you next week.